3: Good evening, everybody, and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It is Series 15, Episode 17. Uh, I'm in Hindhoff Towers, overlooking uh, actually what has turned into a pleasant evening after it seemingly has been raining here for probably 36 hours. The meadow is very green and there's nobody in sight. Can't even see any deer uh, this evening. And uh, up in London, our exec- Executive producer Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim.
4: Good evening, John.
3: And on a packed programme tonight, we have what?
4: We have all the usual features. We'll be joined by Nick Damon and Declan Brennan. Uh, We'll be joined by some winners from uh, the digital Nurburgring 24 hour race at the weekend. We'll be joined by Richard Noble. He's our big interview this week. Very
3: excited by that. But he is. He is literally one of my personal heroes. I am a land speed record nerd and geek, and I say that with much love, but it's something that has fascinated me since I was a boy, and uh, all things being able, we'll have him on the phone just after 9 o'clock.
4: Uh, news of a brand new show coming uh, oh. in a few weeks' time. Okay. Uh, to RS1, uh, plus a game show tonight as well. A game show? Yes.
3: Excellent. Uh, here's the parish notices then. Neil Gardner has the Lamborghini Huracan finished. Neil, I've got to tell you, your NHS ambulances, old and new, was a stunning, stunning piece of work, as was your Sir Sterling Moss tribute. If you're not familiar with Neil's work at NG Auto Art, just brilliant. He's listening tonight with a GT and and starting another personal project. He has been prolific recently. Uh, Rob Janer uh, listening in tonight. Looking forward to the big interview, as I suspect a lot of you will be as well. Uh, Kevin Payne listening live to what he says. He sure will be another great show. Some of it will be kind of all right, I think. That's what we're aiming for. Alexander <laughs> Okay. Evening all, he says, looking forward to a fabulous show tonight and washing up after a warming supper of pork and apple stew, roasted cauliflower and mashed potatoes. Very nice. What did you have tonight, Tim?
4: Mine's still in the oven. I'll be uh, eating that while you're talking to Richard Noble.
3: Oh, uh, OK. Well, that's good. Uh, it was uh, it was fish pie tonight with samphire, English asparagus and uh, garden peas. And there is some fridge cake, which I'm very excited about, if if I feel the need, apparently. Uh, right Turn Lover says, tuning in tonight, another bit of breaking news, May follows April. Okay. Um, i try to give that the... Gravitas it deserved. Uh, Oliver Childs, tuning in tonight for all the fallout following Audi's announcement, plus calming the nerves before Friday's training course submission. This is all coming into at Spec of course. JG uh, what are the chances for a customer Audi in 2021 that's DTM talk we'll be catching up with Ben Considuous with that in a little while uh, settling him with cigar and some bacon in the smoker for tonight uh, less, sorry, fewer lapping dogs, yapping dogs tonight, Spooner and Orange says very exciting it
4: could have meant less, it could have been one dog that is Lapping, yapping less rather than
3: uh, le- less yapping rather than fewer dogs yes yes okay no okay we can go with that well done Tim save me uh, Spooner, was there a hyphen
4: anywhere to help you with the negative uh, no
3: no uh, excited for this uh, evening show says Spooner in Orange the SSC project was one of my teenage influences into loving all things with a mortar. It's just after 9 o'clock for Richard Noble tonight uh, uh, Chris Suku Uh, Evening all, no AFAs, looking forward to the show, organising my photographic equipment, uh, ready hopefully for some motor racing at some point. Dave Alcock, listening in, waiting for the analysis of the Audi DTM uh, situation. Dave Walton, sorry, David Walton, sorry David, kettle on, time to sit down and settle into Midweek Motorsport. Is that... Are there any plans for having a weekly Guess the F1 season timetable? You do like a good calendar, Tim, don't you?
4: It's a good idea for a game, but I think we're now in a situation where we're getting quite close to knowing, and we'll talk about this with Nick Damon in about 20 minutes. All right. Um, I think we're in a position where we know what's going to happen now.
3: Uh, Jack Gabriel is the watching the nearest form of real life racing, his son Kit, on his scooter, and uh, Stephen Gardner, second straight week while I have a 3pm concert call in, uh, in on the Eastern Time Zone, but I'll be listening to the second hour live. Uh, yeah, you can do catch up as well. Uh, the Angry Pothole, no AFAs tonight, extending Wi Fi coverage to part of the garden. Oh, oh, hang on. You might have won tonight. Parish notices angry pothole. He's extended his Wi-Fi coverage to part the garden. So, Tim, he's in the hot tub waiting to hear your views on everything. I hope you have an adult beverage in there as well.
4: And an adult.
3: I'm going to leave that one. It's, it's only after 8 o'clock. It's not after 10 o'clock. Uh, no AFA says Chris Ring from Windy Cornwall. And Monty tuned in, looking like another cracking show. Thank you very much. Uh, Kevin Payne. Uh, looking forward to the Richard Noble interview and his new book. We will I'm sure talk about that. And Carol Brink uh, has got deer. Uh, we haven't. She has.
4: I don't. I had a, had a fox earlier. Did you? Yes. They like to bask on the lawn.
3: Jules Algebridge, uh No8FA's cracking race, he says at the Nurburgring last weekend. Alan Prosser. I've still got ten minutes of where eagles dare to go damn I shouldn't have paused it to make a cuppa well uh, MWM inside it is where eagles dare can wait I won't spoil it for you I promise Phil Anson uh, in a sandstorm swept Dubai this evening Phil uh, stay safe mate out there and so dirty uncle Kevin said same amount of dogs but less yapping so Tim you were exactly right uh, Shea Adam has AFAs tonight. She's about to be floating down a river with no cell signal. No, really.
4: But does she have her armbands on? That's a key point. Yeah, well. You don't want her to drown.
3: Indeed. And hello to Sarah Rigby, one of uh, our army of NHS workers listening in tonight. Sarah, we still salute you and we'll be out clapping for you, your colleagues and all the other essential workers tomorrow night shuffle the papers and before we play the jingle, one quick last word for Slow pass It calls in an AFA and apologies for absent, working on their last lab quiz before they can graduate from Oklahoma however, most more importantly than that, the parts are on the GTI play the jingle All the latest motorsport news from around the world Midweek Motorsport Top story this week, Audi have decided that at the end of the 2020 season, whenever that is uh, started or indeed finished for DTM, that they that will be their last season in the German Touring Car Championship. Ben Constantinus joins us for this one. Quite simply, Ben, it's a, it's a simple question. Uh, it might even be a simple answer. What does this mean for the future of DTM? Our well, DTM
5: lost uh, a manufacturer a couple of years ago. It was replaced by a pseudo-works team in Aston Martin, but uh, really it was our motorsport and a private project, and uh, they pulled out within a year, uh, leaving just BMW and Audi to fight out for the 2020 championship, and now losing Audi. It's one car. Audi provided nine cars into the championship, half the field was an Audi, uh, and you can't have a one-make DTM championship with BMW. What other options are there for manufacturers mm. joining the DTM, especially in the situation, the climate of that we're in right now?
3: Uh, Gerhard Berger, the man at the top of, of DTM and ITR, the company that, that run it, has been... Active in trying to persuade some of the Japanese manufacturers who compete in uh, Super GT, what's called Class 1, uh, to the point where the regulations were more closely aligned. We've now got four-cylinder engines, for example, in the DTM, which some people would have thought um, heresy a few years ago had to be the big rumbling v 8 Is there... Can he look to the east? Can Gerhard look to the east for some kind of... Of or is literally the countdown clock beginning now for DTM, at least in its current form?
5: Yeah, I know that there's been many efforts to kind of rebrand DTM over the last couple of years to try and attract manufacturers that weren't German, because obviously DTM stands for Deutsche Touring Car Meisterschaft, so that is German touring cars, effectively. And they want to move away from that German thing, they keep adding more and more uh, events outside Germany to their calendar. They were supposed to be going to Scandinavia uh, this year, as well as Russia. They've been doing that the last couple of years. Uh, and so perhaps this is the the encouragement, let's say, to, to fast track uh, those plans and to, to really cement this idea of DTM joining Super GT. It is, for me, the only way that they're going to keep the people operating DTM, the ITR, uh, in work. And it was very interesting to read Gerhard Berger's statement that uh, that is his priority, to
3: safeguard the people that work within the ITR. If we rewind just a little bit to to that response from Gerhard Berger to what Audi have, have said, it sounds to me as though there wasn't an awful lot of communication and consultation between Audi as one of two major partners, i.e. one of the manufacturers involved in DTM, and Gerhard and and ITR, whether it came as a complete surprise to them or not, but his language in the reply was fairly uncompromising.
5: And the other interesting, the, the interesting thing about it is that it does seem to be a response to COVID. It does seem to be a response to the climate that we're in. It the first of the major manufacturers across the world to respond to the economic climate that we're in right now, um, and so there can't have been that much. Uh, consultation there can't have been that much time to really reflect and to see uh, what they might be doing in response to it it does seem to be uh, not knee-jerk because nothing is ever knee-jerk in these massive manufacturers but certainly something that's been taken quite quickly uh, to to safeguard uh, the motorsport activities that they do And and I seem to remember and you'll know better than me that that was a similar situation when Audi dropped out of WEC uh, Gerard Nouveau was a bit like, well, hang on a second. Did you, you, You've been in all this discussion with us and, and now you're leaving. Mm,
3: it's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, in some ways, if you look at the Volkswagen AG group as a whole, this is part... Of a rationalisation, you could you could see it as part of a rationalisation of all of their motorsport activities. That's seen VW drop out of TCR. That's seen Audi and Porsche uh, step back from World Endurance Championship. Uh, they have a lot of brands, and they're trying to allow the brands to build up a personality within a particular part of the sport. So Cupra, uh, the uh, performance brand that, that was an offshoot of, of Seat, um, uh, Audi still to a certain extent in, in TCR through their customer racing programme, uh, Audi in GT racing with the R8, again on a customer side of things, uh, Formula E, etc. Um, is it just the case that, is that all of the manufacturers' horns are pulled in financially that the extreme amounts of money that are required, and it is still, relatively speaking, large amounts of money. I've heard 90 to 100 million euros a year for what is, in the DTM, a national championship. They are, not in the big scheme of things The manufacturers, I know, but in, in motorsport terms, that that's not great value for something that is a single country.
5: Absolutely, and, and, and don't we feel like this has been a long time coming with DT- with DTM. My point, it exactly, doesn't yeah. feel like, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's been moving forward and they've been trying to rebrand. And, and I know that having spoken to a couple of the guys probably around this time last year at Hockenheim at the first round of both DTM and W series, uh, that there was a, they wanted to, to stop it being called DTM. And that was going to be in line with super GT. And they were obviously no idea what they were going to uh, call it, but D- the DTM Super GT thing was a, uh, a very good competition to the World Touring Car Championship a couple of years ago. World Touring Cars were desperate to have these class one regulations or Eurosport were desperate to have them. And unfortunately, Eurosport lost the bidding battle and it was just as Gearheart Burger came in, took control and started this process. But it's taken, well, there must have been four five years. It's taken too long. Yeah. for DTM to rebrand and to get the Super GT uh, marriage up and running.
3: I, I think, actually, had uh, Mercedes not pulled out when they did, Audi might have been out the door quicker. But when Mercedes went, of course, the next manufacturer that goes is the one that the finger is pointed at for, quote-unquote, killing the DTM. And uh, both BMW and Audi might have had a a, a little bit of a mm, moment when Mercedes got to pull out uh, before before they did. So if it isn't Class 1, what is the future for DTM? The problem being that within Germany, there are plenty of good national championships, but they tend to be for GT cars. If you look at the ADAC championship, the GT Masters, these are all fabulous championships, uh, not always Chock full of manufacturer support, not always chock full of full pro drivers. There's always an element of pro am in in GT racing. Is that the solution to go to someone else's formula, possibly even to TCR? There's still some German interest in TCR and in T from manufacturers at least, and TCR has a broader spectrum of manufacturers. But then that just becomes a national TCR championship. And and surely we've got enough of them as well.
5: Yeah, Germany started really strong with TCR. uh, One of the first adopters of the TCR regulations um, in in support of the GT Masters on that program. And they never really got it running well with the uh, organizer that was doing it at the time. So maybe the ITR take over running some different championships of course at one point they were also running the uh formula three euro series um and then the f3 european championship which has also died so they are in a very tricky situation but i think personally dtm as a name uh is going to be disappearing at well either at the end of 2020 or some point in the middle of it
3: and Presumably, this isn't the time, Ben, to be reinventing it with a complete new formula. Surely Gerhard and ITR, Gerhard Berger and ITR, have got to say, well, we've either got to make something out of BMW and the cars we've got and the cars that exist in, in Japan, possibly even to some subsidised privateer runners, or we've got to go with something else that already exists. It's... the
5: both Super GT and DTM do the same thing. They are uh, from big car ma- ca- big car uh, countries and they are competing within that country for pride of that country. That's all they really function. And then as soon as uh, Mercedes and an Audi drop out and BMW are the only per- per- person at the party – it's there's no point having it super gt are the same situation lots of japanese manufacturers fighting to be the best japanese manufacturer that doesn't translate to a world series it's happy where it is and it should stay where it is dtm should have stayed where it was as a german thing without being too expensive of course and keeping that that infrastructure and interest this world domination requires a whole new strategy that in over many years world touring cars has proven is not particularly attractive to manufacturers.
3: So to summarise then, and I'll just throw this in as well, because some of our listeners may not know this, uh, DTM and ITR did try to launch uh, the category in the US, and I'm pretty certain that IMSA are still the partner that holds the technical uh, regulations for ITR in the States. But to sum up, Ben, what's come through very clearly from what you've said is that Whilst this current situation with Audi may well have been uh, precipitated... Uh, at, the, at the end at least, by or, or their hands may have been forced, should I say, at the end at least, by the current uh, virus situation, although the irony is that Audi have restarted production uh, yesterday in their plants in Eastern uh, Europe at least, and I think Volkswagen went back to work last week. But, but that, all right, we accept that that's something special, but ultimately the Championship and ITR under Gerhard Berger have just taken too long to if not even reinvent themselves at least they've taken too long to move with the times
5: yeah i I really think so and actually there's a really good example of this right happening right now look at all of these different championships uh doing virtual competitions and taking part uh, taking all their drivers out of the real world and into the virtual world dtm never came up with a plan to do an esports event uh they've been sitting on their heels doing nothing and it it took Rene Rast's race engineer to come up with the idea put it to the ITR to ask DTM whether they could use the name DTM said no and that's why in the virtual world there's the DTM-ish championship happening over the next couple of weeks it's not endorsed by DTM Uh, DTM have done nothing about esports and it's a good reflection on how they just simply have not been able to keep up with the the moving world over the last couple of months and over the last couple of years
3: Ben Constantius thank you very much indeed it's a sad time for German national motorsport and when we think back uh, through the glory years of DTM we'll remember some excellent racing and some phenomenal machines it looks like uh, we may be counting down to the end of that Ben thanks very much indeed mate
4: Nick Damon's with us as well hello Uh, Nick if you were going to reinvent the DTM what would it be?
6: Oh, Um, question. Well, I go and talk to to, to a man who's kind of actually already reinvented a national touring car series from from death about 20 years ago. Well, that's not 16 years ago. And I say, say, Mr. Gao, how do you make a national touring car series work? And he would say, you do it this way and you make it massively cheaper and you get effectively all your best club drivers in it. And then people come and watch it and they
3: connect with the drivers and you build a fan base. It seems... um... BMW was surprised with it. Uh, all the guys. Ga- do, do you think in, BMW was sure.
4: surprised because uh, they didn't realise that Audi were going to pull out first? Yes, absolutely. Because BMW are clearly yeah. working on their own withdrawal strategy.
3: Well, that's what I said um, to Ben there yeah. um, about Mercedes. When 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 Mercedes pulled out, I I think we I said on this show that both Audi and BMW were going, damn it, damn it. We've, we've got we've got to stay in. We've got to stay in now because we can't be the one to, to give it up. Um, it's a And tough then there was one. a
4: brief respite where you had the uh, uh, R Motorsport Aston Martin shaped cars.
3: Very good. I like what you did there.
4: Um, because that clearly gave them the idea that, ah, oh, that means we can pull out at the end of uh, next season and uh, they'll still be two yes. other types of car and then our motorsport uh, and aston martin uh decided that they weren't going to do that anymore
3: matthew hindman posts on the midweek motorsport listeners collective uh, sorry on the radio show limited listeners collective can anyone really see nissan toyota or honda wanting to pick up another motorsport program in europe no. i can't GTM issue is they've never appealed to manufacturers outside of Germany since it reformed in the year 2000.
4: They've been struggling to appeal to manufacturers inside of Germany, well, to be fair.
3: And Opel pulling out didn't help. I remember doing the uh, Opel Calibra concept when we were at when I was working at, at RML. Um, I is there, and I don't know the answer to this question. So I'm genuinely asking this of of, of you two, Nick and Tim, and also to the collective, on that. Is there, is there a scenario where Audi could loan, give, whatever cars to private teams
1: who Audi might still has...
3: have, uh, who might still have sponsors, or indeed no. any of the uh, any of the no.
4: manufacturers from Japan do the same? Audi have said oh, they will th- supply engines in 2021 only, right, uh, to people who. Want to run privateer Audis, and basically that's going to be Abt, isn't it? Yeah, um, possibly Phoenix, um, but that's not a long-term strategy. Uh, tweet from Adrian Michael Reese: mm. uh, You need um, need to make it more relevant to Super GT manufacturers. The way to make the DTM more relevant to Super GT manufacturers is to put it in Japan, yeah, because that's, that's, that's what's relevant to them.
3: Hello to Moni and Lisi, and by the way, Moni's in the Cube 2.0, having moved across the company, country in the US just before the uh, lockdown situation. Also David, 2, Bruce, DTP, D- hope all good uh, in the Bruce household and that you're enjoying a, uh, a little bit of midweek motorsport tonight. Our thoughts with everyone who is struggling just a little bit At the moment, if you are, we'll try and give you a little bit of normality this week with IMSA on Thursday. We've got another DNLS on Saturday, powered by VCO as well. Uh, And uh, Tim?
4: Yes. So this is my cure for DTM. and It's very similar to uh, Nick's. Right. Um, You need to make it so that it's not reliant on manufacturers. So allow manufacturers to take part if you want. But uh, there will be a cost cap, there will be a uh, testing ban, there will be um, some standardised parts such as suspension and things like that. Uh, It will be made so that a privateer team can come in with a budget of €250 and win.
3: €250? I can afford that. €250,000. Oh no, sorry, I'm out. I'm out. Bit dragons deadish there of me. Yes. No, no, I'm out.
4: <laughs> you're out.
3: I don't even know what I'm. That is. But you're I've not never a privateer team. team, so I could be. You could be. I'd I'd have to live in the truck because I wouldn't have anywhere to live here if I started <laughs> a racing
4: team. <laughs> and <laughs> Eve might divorce you, so you'd only have well, half of your two hundred and fifty million euro, uh, two hundred fifty thousand euros. Uh,
3: let's. Uh, stay I don't think I'm entitled many. to half of it. To be honest, I think she's worked far harder th- harder than me. Uh, uh,
4: what's the prenup say let's stay in Germany because it was one of the biggest racing events of the year at the weekend the DN24 uh, powered by VCO 24 hours around the Nürburgring uh, virtual Nürburgring Nordschleife uh, there were 1260 entries which is more than we have even for normal uh, Nürburgring 24 hours and we've certainly seen that in the getting close to 200 in the past haven't we uh, there were 23 simultaneous races, uh, and uh, we teamed up with Race Spot to provide full live coverage of the top split, uh, which was 59 cars in the end, John?
3: Uh, 55. 55. 55, yeah. Uh,
4: you can go and watch that all again if you go to the website, com. You've got uh, a full replay uh, in vision, a full replay in sound, and you can even replay the timing if you want to. Uh, after the checking flag, John spoke to three of the four class winners. Uh, apologies to Sorgren Sport, who won the Porsche Cayman GT4 class. Uh, we didn't get to talk to you, uh, but here are the VCO Motorsports Victory Lane interviews, starting with the SP8 and overall winners from uh, BS Plus Competition. It's Alex Voss, Philip Eng, and first Loren Heinrich.
7: Yeah, I mean, it was planned. Um, because it was good, um, we could get some sleep. We were only three drivers, which isn't enough, obviously, for a 24-hour race, but we still did it. Um, but my second uh, quadruple stint wasn't planned, actually. Ah. Um, there were, it, it was only a double stint, but then we made it to four stints. So. But it was okay, I had enough sleep, so...
3: Alex, I'll come to you if I I may. The battle with the Ferrari early on was great to watch, and even at the end, it was only I mean it's under 30 seconds at the end of 24 hours. That was full on, mate.
7: Oh man, thanks. Yeah, it was an amazing race. I mean, I think, and we never had a race which was close like this one. The competition was really tough, and it was all about to yeah to get it together to to keep the car. Without having any incidents on the track, and yeah, it was really super intense. So, yeah, really interesting. (laughs) Was there anything that
3: went wrong for you guys? Was there any moment when you thought, uh oh, that's it? I mean, the Ferrari was quick, and then they had their problems when they were leading. Was there anything else that you could have done in terms of the pace that you had, even when the Ferrari was out there?
7: I mean, we knew that, that the BMW is probably not the, the car which uh, would have the most impor- performance here. I mean, um, it's it's quite nice to the tires, so that's why we double-stinted those uh, mm. quite from the beginning. And, um, yeah, we hoped it will play out at the weekend, um, at the end of the race, I mean. And, um, um, yeah, we had some issues here and there with some, with some GT4s and... Um, the TCR, but overall we had a really quite clean race. Therefore, um, yeah, we are happy uh, how it went out.
3: Uh, and the third member of the squad, Philip A. Philip, well done, well done, mate. Uh, quadruple stint into uh, the daylight. Uh, a quadruple stint around the Nordschleife, real or virtual—that has got to be a real feat of concentration.
8: Well, I'm I'm completely exhausted, and I. I... <laughs> i'm extremely happy and i think this is one really one for the books and probably um besides my real 24 races um one of my biggest wins um i'm yeah i'm a very lucky guy to to have had such amazing teammates with alex and lauren they were not only super super quick but they just don't do any mistakes which is so impressive and Mm. also for our team, PS uh, competition, uh, first ever 24 hour race, uh, first ever win. So, yeah, I, I, I couldn't be happier. Um, then, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit sorry about what happened to Redline. This was very unfortunate. I've also deserved a win, such as Male. Um, very good job of them as well, but uh, we made it, and I'm very happy.
3: I know we can't go racing at the moment and I know it's not exactly the same as real world racing. Is it keeping you sharp? And, and is it
8: is it making you think to yourself, right, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to go back racing when we need to. Well, 100% for me personally as a driver, it keeps me sharp. Um, my instinct does exactly the same thing as in real life. So <laughs> when I was fighting with uh, Agustin, I um, I was just you know i was just doing the same things as i would do in in real life and i was just relying on my instinct um he's he's a very tough racer but a very good racer um, and it was super good fun to to fight against him yeah i'm just super happy and um, it's super cool for bmw for the uh z4 gt3 um that even now in those Uh, circumstances, uh, we can write headlines for BMW, which is super cool.
3: Alex, Lauren, Philip Eng, well done. Uh, Excellent stuff. BMW win the 2020 uh, 24 hours of the Nürburgring Powered by VCO.
7: Thank you, John. Thank you
3: very much. Thanks. Gianni Vecchia. Gianni, fantastic uh, run for you in the Porsche Cup class. Uh, What a win. The 24 hours, one of the big ones. How do you feel? I
9: feel great. I mean, it's always something special to win the Nurburgring 24. I mean, there is there aren't there aren't many much bigger races on the in the world. Like maybe Daytona and Le Mans, but yeah, Nurburgring is always something special.
3: It was uh, it was stiff competition pretty much all the way through, and of course you can never really relax, even when you've got a lead, when you've got the Nurburgring Nordschleifer to look after.
9: It's basically. In these days it's not 24 hour, 24 hours endurance it's just sprint or every stint is just sprint racing it's about managing the traffic and getting through as fast as possible um in the end it could have been quite uh, quite uh, quite yeah exciting with the other team redline car but they had
3: some issues uh, iron Shan stuck the car trying to chase you down now come on You've got to be impressed with Iron Chan. He's a Porsche young driver and, and a Carrera Cup winner in the real world, but he's very good on the sim as well. Were you were you looking in the rearview mirror? What was the team telling you at that point before he stacked it? <laughs> I mean, I know that Iron Chan is quite good. We, I mean, we are
9: both in the same team with Team Redline, so um, yeah. But the guys said, yeah. It's, 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 it could be close, we need, to, we need to do these and these lap times, we need to manage the tyres as well, so it, it, it could have been quite close and that's why I tried to push as fast as possible and at the beginning of the second last stint, but we had some issues and that's luck, that, was, that was pretty lucky for me, but
3: yeah, quite unfortunate for him. Let's uh, talk to one of the winning drivers in the TCR class. and so that's Jürgen Frank, Sim RC, the number 76 car. Jürgen, congratulations. It looked like that car had just rolled out of the truck. There was not a mark on it. Was that the secret to your success?
1: Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, we had a perfect race, no incidents, and yeah, not even a scratch. Also, we had a great pace every free driver of us so i think that was the key to the win
3: how uh, exciting worrying much fun was it when we had that seven car train in tcr for the, what seemed like most of the first six hours i know it wasn't quite that but certainly through the first couple of pit stop cycles we had all the top seven together
1: <laughs> yeah i was in the car at that time and it was really crazy because we were seven cars in seconds and then dating here it was like just a train going by the draft is really strong in this car so you get a draft at 2.2 seconds behind um, behind the other car really yeah but then it takes a long time until you hit the hit a ref limiter so good competition in the TCR class I love
3: to see those out there will we see you in the DNLS for the rest of the season
1: yeah that's our plan uh, we hope to get the title there and uh, we found something on the setup for the hard work for the 24-hour race so you're very confident now thanks and thanks for the broadcast
3: that was the vco victory lane interviews from the weekend at the nurberg ring for the dn24 powered by vco nick damon and bruce jones were alongside me in our rsl global commentary center for that i got totally immersed in that race from the first green flag to the checkered flag at the end, uh, to the point where I didn't sit down for either of the two six hours uh, stints that we did, and you've you've uh, you've started doing some. Um, I I I believe you're saying to your wife that it's research for work on iRacing, yeah, so absolutely. so you're you're absolutely. doing that. Yeah. So you know how good. Those guys weren't that top split. Well, like, let me tell you how good they actually were. Um, we've been very, very lucky
6: to uh, recruit a, a proper racing driver into our team. Um, the very, very friendly, very nice guy, Adam Christadula, who's done a lot of Creventic, has done... You know, ring, mind. Great GT3 driver. Um, he was watching um, Maxi Max um pole lap and just saying, I have no idea how he does it. You know, he, <laughs> I have no idea how he does it. He, he went round in a... 759 pole lap, 803 running time. Adam, who's obviously or, is, is it 30, an eight or two?
3: 838 yeah. or something
6: in the race yeah. at nine o'clock in the morning. Adam's just set up his rig, so he's he's a beginner to sim racing, and he's he's doing much better than we could around 820, 822. But yeah, there's a there are yeah, many hundreds of hours in between. Um, you know, there and there, but yeah, they're, 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 it's interesting. I think, I think there is a, the real world drivers are beginning to squeeze the gap slightly. If you yes, look they at, are. You know, the, the iRacing ratings of Spengler and Eng and that sort of thing. Now, they, cause they have nothing else to do. They do a bit of internal gym and the rest of the day, you know, this is what keeps them sharp. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one, is, one, is, one of the things you can do on our racing, John, which is really interesting, is you can look at all the races being hosted and so many of the names are names you and I know from sports car racing who are just hosting a race randomly. You know, oh, well, kind of, oh yeah, yeah, Kevin van der Linde. Oh, yeah, he's, oh, yeah that sort of thing. It's, 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 we, yeah, they, they are all on there uh, and, and practicing hard and, the, and they're getting closer. But when you get to the absolute top echelons of anything, and sim racing is a separate skill in many ways, the... Career sim racers, your Maxis, your Rudy Van Buren's, are always going to have a an edge over the real racers, unless you have got a real race you can really break out. I mean, Max Verstappen, who was of course is in
3: our race, um, and is part owner of the Red Line team. Yeah,
6: um, yeah, you know, he's he's everyone he's stand out. He out amongst the professional drivers, but
3: you know he even he yeah,
6: won't won't regularly beat or even often beat the professional sim racers.
3: Well, Ayachan Guvan, of course, uh, as you heard there when we were. Uh, talking to the winner of the 9/11 cup class was being he was chasing down Johnny um, Vecchio and uh, he put it in the wall trying yeah. to chase him down and he's a good sim racer as well oh. as a very good Porsche cup racer there are nuances aren't there? we talked about this if you haven't watched it by the way and I'm sure there will be people out there who go oh, man it's people playing on a game it's it really isn't. But even if that's what you think do yourself and me a favor and go and have a look at it uh, on the in fact i tell you what if you don't want to watch it listen to the audio archive and and tell me what you think of the audio archive and then go back and watch the audio and video together because the biggest thing that i got over the weekend was the people who were listening to it nick couldn't tell whether it was real or not because the sounds of the cars are so realistic, and the coverage that we can do because of the facilities that the guys at VCO and Race Spot give us is actually in some ways superior than we would get if we were actually at the Nurburgring. Well, it's superior at the Nurburgring because of the ability to have a camera anywhere,
6: which which mm. you can't do at the Nurburgring because it's 25 kilometers kilometers round. Um, but no, they are very very good race directors and they're very experienced about what to do directing a sim race which not wishing to mention some names that's not always evident in some of the sim race coverage i've been watching yeah true. Uh, no but it was, i think it's an interesting point mate john because if you do listen to it on radio i don't think if you were told that it, unless you, you know, our conversations about how the sim works which i think you know, we, we need to do you wouldn't know it was a sim race you couldn't tell it's a race that's
3: what it is. No, we're explaining the nuances that makes it different yeah. from the real world, but that's no different to explaining the nuances no? between an ELMS race and an IMSA race or a, DT, or a, or a, um, a VLN race and a Kreventnik race. And, and and those things are important for for understanding. Uh, thanks to the guys. Massive thanks to the guys at Race Spot over the weekend. Uh, Bossman Will uh, and the rest of the team were really good they do this all the time and they allowed us to take part in it and we thoroughly uh, enjoyed it eve gave away one of my big secrets at the end in the last six hours i was standing up and getting so excited particularly in the last three hours i was hopping from foot to foot in the studio <laughs> uh, and she of course was ankle. downstairs i i'd could barely move on Sunday night, mate. I had to take some liquid analgesic to get All fired. Right. Well done, yeah. Uh, you listening to me, Midway Is watching.
4: Uh, if any anyway, of you watch Formula One, watch Christian Horner's feet in the yeah. pit lane.
3: I just move backwards and forwards between left and right. Um, we, and we've got more this week. Uh, IMSA, we'll talk about IMSA. We'll have a little preview of the Haggerty Mid-Ohio IMSA uh, Invitational, Pro Invitational. And then we've got uh, the next round of the DNLS three-hour race on the nurberg ring at the weekend tim gray is with us nick damon is with us still to come we've got our big interview on the phone just after nine o'clock uh, we'll be taking the call from richard noble has uh, as he talks
6: sorry I, has he not been
3: knighted has he what he not, he no, has sir?
5: no no
3: really no <laughs> that's I, awful i know <laughs> it's a it's it's not awful it's disgraceful. It's, he's in he's in with John Surtees in my why have these guys not been knighted category. It's extraordinary. He has and got
4: he, an OBE. So he, he has should got be an be calling OBE. Richard Noble OBE.
3: Yes. Okay. Fine. Fine. I'm going to leave that out because it should be Sir Richard Noble. You're absolutely, absolutely right. He needs to do uh, that
4: second thing, doesn't he? He
3: does. He does. Well, maybe if he gets the water speed record as well, he, it, then... You know, something else. Uh, where would you like to go next, Tim? Well, as we've got Nick Damon with us, let's do some Formula One. Hooray! In lockdown.
6: <laughs> yeah.
3: Not if you're Formula One, though, necessarily. Well,
6: there's a lot of planning going on. I, I Lo- love, Well, I We're love not talking about tweet. that yet. I'm sorry, but I absolutely love the tweet this week where someone said, "This must the person enjoying lockdown most of all must be Tim Gray with the constant changes of calendars.
4: And it's not just Formula one, everyone's changing their You do like a bit of calendar time. news, don't you? You yes. like a good calendar news. I just need to convert the entire wall of the studio to um whiteboard so I can actually rub stuff out and
3: Eve actually and threw out the twenty twenty book of words today. She threw it out. She completely. might regret that. No, no. She might she...
4: need to go back and look at what she could have done.
3: <laughs> look at what you could have done. <laughs> you could have done yes. That's fair. You know what? That's a t-shirt. We're going to have to talk to Andy Blackmore, and the guys, and and say, "2020 season, look at what you could have done." And that that is fantastic. Uh, she has got a spare uh, 2020 diary, so uh, it, which which is her diaries are all like 18 months, so she goes into the next year. Very clever. Very anyway, clever. moving on. F1. Uh,
4: so, which Formula One driver was dressed as a banana this week?
3: Lando. It is I, declare. <laughs>
6: Um, why?
4: Uh, he was playing Fortnite and was uh, trying to uh, identify as Peely.
3: I don't even right. want to know. Uh, okay. Did you see? I don't
4: understand Fortnite, but apparently there's more than one Peely.
3: Did you Did you see the side by side with uh, James Hunt uh, and the glamour model with his uh, race suit pulled down? And somebody said, "How has F one gone from this yeah. to the clerk?" <laughs> well,
6: yes, but you know.
4: <laughs> uh, Lando's been uh, playing Everywhere. football for charity.
6: I what, what FIFA? I take it therefore yes, yeah. not
4: not actual football, computer game football.
6: But he won. He won Indy as well, didn't he?
4: He did also win Indy. Yeah, yeah
6: at the at the Circuit of America. So you know, at least at least virtual coat is still open.
4: So Circuit he knows probably better than most of the IndyCar car drivers, though.
6: Yeah, but he still doesn't. Know the car. He still he still whooped their proverbials.
4: Mm. Uh, so Formula One's still on its summer break, which has now been extended to nine weeks.
6: Yeah, they're having a lovely holiday, aren't they? I mean, I mean they could go on a cruise. if It was not the fact that all the cruise ships are shut down and uh, and uh, are parked up in various berths around the Miami. Um, but,
3: frankly, if, it, if it, other than the last couple of days, if they if they live in the carbon fibre triangle, they've probably got sunstroke. That is true. It's
6: been, been lovely in the garden. And of course, they've also extended the, the shutdown for the engine as well because the, that, that the engine, made, the engine uh, elements of the, uh, the teams as well have shut down. But you are now allowed to have 10 specially picked people do non-2020-related long-term work.
4: Yes. They're, they're, those people but only have be. to have a break for 49 days, don't they? And yes. is it, the engines is 36 days or 35 days?
6: Uh, was it no, I think you're right. I think it's gone up to... 40. Yes, it's, they, they started a bit later, but they, they, they will come back at the same time.
4: Yes. So, uh, so, calendar beginning to fall into place. The French Grand Prix has officially been cancelled.
3: Right. Altogether now, not just postponed. Sorry, sorry, when I said altogether now, I didn't want you all to join in. It's <laughs> oh, been <without laughs> Altogether now? No, it's been cancelled completely. It's not just postponed. But it now. can't happen until September 1 at the earliest. Right. Because, because the, everything's
4: been banned
6: in France until.
3: What they should even,
4: have done yeah. is what uh, Horse Racing France has done uh, and yeah. said, we are not a sport, we are agriculture. So Horse right. Racing France is starting on May the
3: 11th. Does that mean we would have to race tractors? Porsche would have been fine.
4: I'm sure lots of uh, teams could have uh, come up with a tractor specification.
3: Mm. Tractors around Le Monde. Uh, Hang on. Hang on, get Tom Aaron on that immediately. He did have tractors. Where was the tractor race? The Tom They're Aaron brands it? brands.
4: it was yes. Did you see the uh, mid 90s DTM at Goodwood?
3: Oh, that was very funny.
4: Very funny. Mercedes terrible. Alphas spinning off all over the place. Uh,
3: if you if you don't know, by the way, it's uh, Noramot at Noramot on Twitter. Uh, Tom Aron is uh, recreating classic motorsport races, some of which probably never existed. But it is just Do you as you think much... some of them
4: never existed?
3: I, I think so. Mm. I haven't been able to find anything about them on Wiki. Um, but it's that's not the point. It's his descriptions of them that are actually as clever... As what he's doing with Project Cars Two or whatever it is that he's, it he's is doing, it is Project from. Cars
4: Two. He's doing yeah, it in. It's very I mean, good. Equally funny. Um, quite a few of them. If you look at the replies, oh. from his father
3: uh, and other notable people in motorsport. Uh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Very good indeed. I uh, listen to midweek motorsport series 17. Episode, uh, sorry, series 15, episode 17. Um, we're in F1 news where are we going next
4: uh, we're staying on the calendar because uh, we got a lovely email from Stuart Pringle on Monday uh,
3: yes. Stuart Pringle the managing director
4: of, of Silverstone. Uh, Silverstone Circuits. does
3: yeah. this not give you a chance to play that song again
4: yes it does give us a chance to play that song again and uh, well reminded because I've even got it lined up in the uh, in the, <laughs> in the, computer, the playout, machine so play out yeah okay. and when
10: we
0: get behind <laughs> phones, I quite like song, okay. and she left
3: question here yes why did you choose Sir Tom Jones and not the original by Charlie Rich
4: I quite like the Sir Tom Jones version no, I, okay um, and I also thought about the Dolly Parton version which I'm also particularly fond of um, yes
6: quick question actually what two things has Tom Jones done which means he's, he's more deserving
3: of being a sir than Richard Noble I know he might have only done one
4: he won Ooh. the Eurovision Song Contest didn't he no, he
3: didn't. Yeah. Oh, okay. don't, don't, <laughs> don't get Nick on the Eurovision Song con- We'll have news on the Eurovision Song Contest-ish. Next week. Next week. Rem- oh, uh, it, it, apparently, now we can call it ish because it was DTM-ish at the weekend, as we heard from, from Ben earlier on. I think so, you're giving
4: away too much already. No, David. no, I'm
3: just saying ish. Ish. ESG-ish. That's it. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. So behind closed doors, then...
4: Uh, will be the British Grand Prix, however many Twice. of them there are.
3: If there if there can be a financial arrangement, agreed, I noticed. That was that was just a ty- one line in the whole thing, wasn't it?
6: You, you know how over the past, I don't know, however many years, 25 years, ever since Silverstone has first started whinging about how much they're paid? Stop it. Um, F1 has had them by the, sh- you know, the, the short and curlies so with a terminology. of technology. Well, it's finally the boots on, boots on the other foot, isn't it? They've finally got something that F1 wants. Um, and I'm sure there will be a very robust um, negotiation procedure. Do you think um, they'll tell them what they want, what they really, really want? They, I'm sure Mrs. Horner may well tell them that, yes. <laughs> um, but, uh yeah the, 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 the theory now is that we're going to run four behind closed doors races, I think back to back to back to back, aren't we? We're going to go um, Red Bull, Red Bull, Silverstone, Silverstone. So they get four races away in four weekends.
3: And then six July. weekends at
6: Portimao. And no. then what happens next is that Hockenheim's trying to get a race. Hockenheim uh, wasn't Hockenau on the calendar, though, Nick. Pardon?
4: Hockenheim wasn't on the calendar. How can it be on the calendar now?
6: Because it's because it a can. venue. Don't forget, Hockenheim is quite remote. Like Portimao, it's quite right next to a motorway. It's not near a conurbation, though, is uh, it? I know that is true.
3: And um, so long as they don't get, um, so long as they don't get any half wits walking down the track as they did in 2000, they'll be fine.
6: That is true, but then Silverstone had the same problem. I think was the previous year, so there's a, there's, a, there's a kind of a theme there, isn't there? Yeah. Of pitch invasions or track invasions. Um, no, what's happened now is every single race track which couldn't afford a Grand Prix or been priced out the marketplace has gone. Oh, hang on, well we are actually a really good venue. We are Grade One, and you can come and you come and play with us. And oh look, our dry hire rates are suddenly nine times what they were. Mm. So um, you know, and I think it, it
3: is. But it does require. Let's be absolute. We, we've said this before, but it's, it bears saying again. It it requires a completely different financial and business model to what Formula One, for the most part, have been used to for the vast majority of venues they go to. Um, venues is, it, yeah. pay a sanction fee yes, and a then a very big one. Uh, well, it depends where you are. And and then that is recouped uh, mostly only by ticket sales because you don't get your hospitality sales. That's all done by... Um, an f1 company you don't get the sponsorship of the race because that's done by FOM, and so mostly you recoup by the ticket sales and do you do you get things like um you get space for merch and stuff like that
6: no the merchandising now is officially licensed by f1 i think the revenue share on that i think you get the food to be honest i think you can get the food franchise and of
3: course the program public food not yes. hospitality
6: no, no 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 the burgers and that sort of thing right okay um which you know those sort of prices is quite yeah so effectively you pay many many millions of pounds um to probably make maximum 25 quid something like that it's, it's all about it's all about the kudos isn't it now as you quite rightly say the financial model changes to one where form one turns up and says we'd like your grade one circuit we'd like to rent all the bits on it what is your dry hire rate and they will pay them and that's what it will be, because the tracks aren't going to pay for it. So does they'll... that
3: mean Formula 1 are going to pay for things? Dry hire, to me, means... Uh, uh, we should have Yvonne talking about the, uh, this. Not Eve on, Eve on. Uh, we should have Eve talking about this, because she is absolutely top-notch knowing about venues. Um, so t- I presume if you did a dry hire, that suggests to me that then the race series are responsible for things like... Um, marshals yeah but i think what you do john is you use the
6: organizational ability you you effectively rent the organizational ability of silverstone so or red bull ring so they will um liaise with the british british uh, motor marshals club and and everyone else and motorsport uk and and therefore they will still be the point for that but rather than, than that being something they have to do, put the race on it, and that'll be they'll be paid to do as consultants, and that's what the negotiation's about, you know, because there aren't enough people in Princess Gate and FOM to do those things, so therefore they will, you know, uh, you know, basically you know, book Silverstone to do it. And you know, and, and the point about the, the, the thing to remember I always this last week, it's a really important point to to, to hammer home that. This is not about Liberty Global, Liberty Media, having a valid world championship. That's a complete subtext, the fact that if they don't put the races on, they've got to pay a huge amount of money back to TV companies um, and won't get any money from TV companies. So there'll be even less money to go around to the teams. So. Putting a race on, even though they well, they won't make the sort of money they were, still make it still makes it worth their while to put the race on. It still makes money. They still have track sponsorship. All the rest of the stuff still happens. Right. Um, and. The, the added side effect is they get a world championship as well, which has, again, benefits because, it, you know, it, 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 I mean, don't forget, if they get the races on, the audiences are going to be absolutely stellar in places which can see it because there's nothing
3: else to watch. <laughs> and there's your key, though, in places that the people can see it. Well, yeah.
6: I, I still reckon places like UK where it, the highlights will be through the roof as well, because people just won't have, won't have had any live sport probably by the first week in July. Perhaps a few things will smattered on in June. But this will be the first major
3: event it's major events that start last Tom Firth says, how similar uh, is the WEC uh, at Silverstone? I-, I don't know the answer to that, Tom, uh, to be honest. Whether WEC pays Silverstone a sanction fee or well, whether they. I, they'd... That, I um, suspect. I said sus- 30,000 for the gate, John. So there's quite a lot of gate money there. I, I suspect that Silverstone um, are probably. this is pure speculation, I don't know, but I suspect that the World Endurance Championship would ask Silverstone to pay for them to be there and then recoup it through the gate. Yeah. and, And that, in fact, might be one of the issues with why Silverstone and the WEC couldn't come to an agreement about getting a race on in September when it would have made perfect sense to get ELMS and WEC at Silverstone before the Le Mans date in the same place, rather than having two weekends at Spa. But, I, but I, that is absolute speculation, and I'm not criticising either side there. And, and I really, I'm talking from no knowledge. What's I'll shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tim, where you, are we staying with Formula yeah, One?
4: well, sort of. What what else would we like to see at the Red Bull Ring? a GP, no.
3: Uh, more You're not going to
4: get MotoGP supporting Formula One.
3: Oh, sorry. Um, they're going to have a support race. I thought that, GP like, 2 really?
4: Formula X2. Two and Formula Three.
6: Yes. Yeah. I'm surprised about that because the sheer number of people associated with it. But that'd be interesting. Okay, fair enough.
4: And they might be holding quite a lot of their seasons at uh, the Red Bull Ring and Silverstone. Well, I mean, so whereas Formula One it, might have two races each. Uh, Formula 1 sorry Formula 3 might have 9 races at each
7: (gasps) really? out out of a 30
4: race calendar
3: calendar. but it doesn't matter because remember what Gerard Neveau said uh, on this show the FIA is not going to hold anybody any international any FIA world championship to any of the parameters to keep them as a world championship this year if if let's and I'm making these numbers up if Formula One do five races at three different circuits, it'll still be a world championship. If the WEC, God forbid, if the WEC can't get any more races off, it'll still be a world championship. If the WEC only do five championship races next year not eight and they're all in europe it will still be a world championship because the fia like everybody else i go know that they're going to have to compromise and and gerard told us they already were and saying guys don't you know let's be sensible here let's get the races off that we can get and it's still a world championship it's force majeure in racing terms and force majeure and by the way and nick you know all about this the wonderful at the discretion of the organizers trumps everything doesn't it yeah i mean I, I think i think if these races do get off in in in
6: uh austria and the uk and oddly even though it's earlier i think austria is more likely than the uk i think there's still a few little hurdles for the uk but we are things here are getting less bad despite the spike today the because they changed where they counted stuff um then it's like how much more do you actually try and um travel around Europe, you've got four European races, do you then try and dive down to Spain and Portugal and get two more? Then you've got six and then you can start going on the, the arc out of Europe, where you can find some countries, with, you know, and, and I still think you know, there's at least two. They've got they've got mm. two guaranteed races at the end of the year: Bahrain and Abu Dhabi. Those will happen. So they just have to get to a point where you know, if they can possibly get the race in Suzuka away, then they've got the then you know a race in Mexico away, then they've got the, the continents as well, and they'll get and That won't get matter.
3: That won't matter. Uh, this from Rob J says uh, Marshalls have been asked by Motorsport UK, which is the um, Motorsport Authority in, in Great Britain to confirm if they were available for the date of the 19th of July for F1 no other dates have been mentioned despite what's been reported in other places thanks Rob uh, for that at specutainment anything else Tim?
4: Lewis Hamilton yes uh, he what now champion? says that uh, times. the future of his career uh, mm-hmm. is not not just about money
6: it doesn't need to be, does it? When you've got that much money. You don't need to that money. <laughs> the, people the future is. If,
3: if, if I won the Euro million,
6: the future of my career wouldn't be about money either.
3: The people who say it's not about money either have zero money at all or more money than they could ever spend.
6: That's never a truer word spoken, John. <laughs> Everyone in between, <coughs> it's all about the money. Well, it's, it's, it's a significant
3: part. The reason it's called money is because it's money and you need it.
6: <laughs> what uh, yeah. what this is about I don't know why, but there's suddenly been a, a re upping of speculation about what's happening with Lewis's career because strangely enough, um, we've now reached um you know almost May and he's not signed a contract. Well that's because when, when have you got round to doing that the last two months? You know, it's and they're oh it means he's gonna go to Ferrari and now it's they're just it's
4: It means he's stuck at home self isolating
3: I'm wondering if he's gonna buy another private jet. he bought, Apparently, bought a simrig.
4: Apparently, he's going to uh, uh, launch his own team in Extreme E, according to a German newspaper.
6: Really? i never—he's never really expressed much interest in the electrified do side you, of sport. Do
3: you honestly think Extreme E, in the current, if you pardon the pun, uh, in the in the medium term, has an ohm to go to? I um, find it quite shocking.
4: I, I think it has uh, uh, eight ohms to go to next year. Um, And we'll learn more when it launches uh, tomorrow. Big big news from Extreme E coming tomorrow. Oh, really? Yes.
3: Okay, we'll talk about that next week. Uh, Nick, stay with us. We need you in the second half of the program, which starts after we've heard what's on the grid tomorrow night. Here's Creelsea. This week on the grid, we've dragged out the big guns. NASCAR race winner and double supercars champion Marcus Ambrose is our special guest. Marcus doesn't do many interviews these days, so he's a big get and talks E-Series racing, success in the US of A, and how he's made a simulator that's really good, and I quote, to have a crash in. Walkinshaw, and Andretti United stars Chas Mostert and Bryce Fullwood drop by to debrief their most recent supercars E-Series exploits, and the usual crew talk calendar conundrums and much more. It's On The Grid, your weekly dose of Down Under Motorsport, 9 p.m. Thursday night, UK
6: time only on
0: RS1. Would you like to hear some of my experimental avant-garde poetry? No. Okay, then it's midweek motorsport, and still to come.
3: I actually heard Mark say the words avant-garde as uh, on uh, CNN and a trail the other day, and I fell about laughing. I nearly dropped my cup of tea. Uh, into the second half of tonight's program, Declan Brennan will, will join us to talk not motorsport. Declan, who? Declan Brennan, sorry, well that'll be fine in post-production. Uh, uh, to talk not motorsport uh, and a special program that we're going to launch here. On the RSL network, more from Nick Damon as well. Previews of Imza, but next a very special big interview, indeed. One of my heroes. Settle back, pour yourself a drink, and listen to Richard Noble, OBE, our big interview on Midweek Motorsport.
0: Midweek Motorsport on RS One.
3: Our big interview this week on Midweek Motorsport is, well, a name that if you are interested in engineering and land speed records and daring do, you should recognise straight away. Delighted to say that on the telephone joining us is Richard Noble. Uh, Richard, welcome to the show and thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us.
10: John, my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this. Oh well, well, you know what you're talking about.
3: <laughs> hey, don't tell everybody my secrets. I've made a career out of uh, of appearing not to know anything about anything for quite a long time. <laughs> Richard, I remember meeting you back uh, in the the heady days of uh, early days of Radio Le Mans at the Circuit de la Sarthe, just after you had selected uh, Wing Commander Andy Green as the pilot to take. Uh, Driver, stroke pilot, to take the land speed record to another level, um, and being struck struck at that point by your down to earth and single mindedness. Your new book, Take Risk, goes right back to your early days of interest in engineering, in speed records. I, I want to start with the title itself, Take Risk, with an exclamation mark behind it. it. Seems perfectly appropriate for someone who's had a life like you but why now and why this form of the book because it, it isn't just about you it's actually in some ways more about the people that surrounded you
10: that's exactly the idea john and if we've achieved that that's really good um there are two things really about this um basically we've been doing all these re- uh, projects these are. There have been ships, there have been airplanes, there's uh, the land speed record cars. And um, basically we're, as a team, we're absolutely appalled by Britain. Britain has uh, just, is so risk averse, it's embarrassing. It really is. And I come from an age, you know, after, immediately after World War Two, when, when Britain was really going somewhere. And, you know, we were producing supersonic aircraft. We were, uh, we produced the, uh, the hydrogen bomb. I mean, we produced the, uh, the E-type Jaguar. I mean, the whole country was really absolutely humming and it was bringing itself out of uh, the terrible post-war austerity. And um, now it's difficult to identify, really, what Britain actually stands for and who we are. You know, our identity is really, really sort of lost. And um, as we went through these various projects, uh, basically we found that people were just totally and absolutely risk-averse. And if you're risk averse, you, you, you know, you're just not going anywhere because basically you're just not going to take any kind of risk. And um, uh, what we got here was a collection of very brave and courageous people who basically took risk in order to back us, in order to get these projects through. And the project's incredibly difficult because it's not a situation where you start off with all the money in, in the bank and just go and do it. You've got to make the money as you go. So it's incremental funding. And so you've got to process very, very large numbers of people and large numbers of deals. And one of the common factors we got is that people in the corporate world are just not taking any kind of risk. And, of course, that means that um, the future of the country is really seriously damaged. And um, we, uh, of course, now, you know, we've got the, the, the dreaded virus, and this is just a terrible time. I mean, we're losing people, we're losing companies, we're borrowing huge sums of money. And the whole country has got to change. It's got to change and it's got to start taking risk and it's got to start being different. Um, And uh, And you say
3: that, Richard, and is this... uh, uh, We've sort of already gone off on a tangent, but this always happens when I I talk to you. (laughs) Um, but, uh, But have we got an opportunity here? Because we've seen in the last few months with the issues that are global not just uk or european based uh, with the virus Uh, we've seen that some elements of red tape have been suspended or at least set to one side we've seen the aeronautical and the aerospace industry and the motorsport industry coming together in a way That I haven't seen that happen uh, since the early part of of my lifetime when they used to be so close together in innovation, turning out whether it's face shields or or ventilators. Have we got an opportunity to reset here to try and uh, to innovate and to bring people back into engineering and make, if I may use this phrase, make engineering sexy again?
10: Yeah, I'm. I, I, I'm so glad you mentioned this because basically there is, um, there is something going on, and we need to feed the fire. It's really as simple as that, and um, and we do, we really do need to change. Of course, in your uh,
3: last major project, Bloodhounds, one of the things which was the 1,000 miles an hour car, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute as well. But one of the key aspects of that was the involvement through open source of school children and trying to yeah. inspire the next set of engineers, the next set of innovators and that was it that whatever anybody else thinks about bloodhound and, and, and i've got a few questions to ask about that if you don't mind that was a roaring success wasn't it
10: yes it was um it's an extraordinary story um it starts with um uh the, the uh mod minister for defense equipment and support and uh we, andy green and i had a meeting with him and the idea was to ask him for a eurofighter engine and we didn't get very far with that but um, just as we were leaving um, the office uh, with him...
3: Uh, and this was Paul said, Lord Drayson, of course, a friend of ours as well. Yep. Lord
10: Drayson, yeah. yeah. Yep. And um, we, just as we were leaving the office, he said, we've got an enormous problem in the Ministry of Defence because we can't recruit scientists and engineers, and we've got to look forward now to creating a new generation of scientists and engineers. And he said, um, you know, the interesting thing was that the big British projects of the past, like, for instance, Concorde, the... Um, the lightning fighter, the uh, the various V bombers, etc., generated a huge level of interest uh, and, a, and a large supply of scientists and engineers. They were really amazed by what was being achieved. And he said to to us that what he wanted was us uh, to use the project to create a new generation of scientists and engineers. Well, it's a long story, John, but we set this thing up and we became the largest STEM program in Britain. I mean, we would, we were. Uh, processing about 130,000 kids every year. So it's obviously had a huge effect somewhere down the line. And um, the interesting thing about it was that because we were doing it for real and, make, uh, and um, you know, we were innovating, we weren't just producing another car or something like this. We were producing a car that would go faster than any um, jet fighter at low level. Um, they were very excited by it and they were sharing it. We were making all the data available and uh, the grand plan was that when the car finally ran for, for its uh, record attempts, all that data would be online for them so they could really study it. So we could take them through the whole process. Ultimately, What was fascinating about this was the way that the kids picked up the engineering and the understanding so quickly. It was absolutely amazing. And not only that, they were thrilled by it because basically in their schools, the fundamental problem was that there's um, there's the, no the, the, the manufacturing skills, so the kids, you know, kids can't weld, they can't make things, <laughs> and suddenly, you know, we were opening this up for them. It was highly satisfying. It
3: really was. I also like the the. the uh, I was I was going to say a throwaway line. It wasn't a throwaway line at all. But there was just one paragraph uh, where you described the change the school children made in the attitude of the engineers and uh, and your innovators who were all a bit sort of standing around wondering what all this was about. And <laughs> literally <laughs> ten minutes later, it was oh. Oh, okay. This is what, oh, right. Yes, absolutely. And I, I, I thought that was an extraordinary, uh, an extraordinary part of it. What, why did Bloodhound fail, Richard? In, in terms of, was it simply financial? Because in the early days, once you'd got over the usual hurdles of getting buy-in, it, it looked for a while like it was going to go very well indeed, and there was a huge PR machine behind it. Um, and and you know, ultimately, it didn't get where you wanted to go. I know it's not the end of the story, but ultimately, it didn't get where you wanted to take it.
10: That's exactly right, yes, yeah. Um, basically, what's happening is, of course, that we were funding the project as we went. And uh, the project, of course, gets bigger and bigger. It has to get bigger and bigger because, you know, the cost of engineering and building the car. And sometimes, you know, in some months, we were spending seven or 800,000 quid a month. You know, you're moving into that sort of sphere. And uh, the difficulty is, it's simply this, this take risk thing. Uh, people just didn't want to take this kind of risk. And um, we, to give an idea, we had a big problem with, um, uh, with the city, for instance. So one day we, we took the car um, and put it on its wheels and showed it in the city. And eight, we could only afford to put it there for two days. And 8,000 people came in two days to come and see the car. We sold 60,000 quid worth of merchandise, which was really good. Did we get any sponsorship deals out of it? Absolutely nothing. And we began to realize that, uh, you know, there is an endemic problem in Britain. There really is. People just don't take risks. They don't like doing this sort of thing. And so I then went to, we now got an enormous problem because we were going to run out of money. So I went to uh, George Osborne and George had been down to see the car being built. Chancellor of the Exchequer at the time, I should say, yes. He was Chancellor, yeah. He'd actually been brought there by his children, which was really interesting. And I explained, I said, we're going to lose it, George. Um, we're going to lose it because I just can't keep the cash up. And, um, you know, and he then set up an enormous program with uh, Biz and later on Bays, the government, uh, the government bodies. Uh, and he simply said, look, what we want you to do is to review this whole project and decide what the value is for Britain, which I thought was really smart. It's a really good thing to do. So he set all this thing up, and in the meantime, an extraordinary thing happened because um, a splendid gentleman called Li Shufu, who is the chief, uh, who is a chairman of the Jili Car Company in China, took a great interest in us, and gradually, one by one, we, we managed to get our deal together with, um, with Li. And this was brilliant because it was the biggest sponsorship we'd ever done, and we were now going to promote the project right across the whole of China. And uh, this was going to be really something. And um, at about this time, we signed with them, and um, uh, and they made their first payment, which was great. Uh, So we were on the way, and we could see ourselves doing a world land speed record in uh, basically in twenty seventeen. Sorry, twenty seventeen it was, yes. And um, then what happened was that the uh, we got a um, an offer letter from. uh, Joe Johnson, who was then the Minister of Transport, um, basically for a sponsorship for uh, for a grant. And um, when we got this letter, we, it was a pretty extraordinary letter because it was for, we'd only got two months in which to get this thing together, and, uh, and etc. And they set very very high standards. But the amazing thing about it is that we achieved all those standards. We'd done it, and so we had a meeting in Victoria Street with the the Bays people. And, uh, you know, John, when, when something like this has been actually achieved, um, these meetings can be great fun and very exciting, because both sides have set a high standard, you know, and it's been achieved. Uh, but this meeting was sour, and it just didn't work, and we walked away from the meeting wondering what the hell was going to happen. And uh, they, they wouldn't hold any more meetings. Ah. We'd met all their conditions, but they wouldn't hold any more meetings. So then I had to go to China and apologize to uh, the Jili the, the people and say, look, I'm really sorry, but uh, uh, basically the British government is not going to support us. And that was the end, effectively, of the Jili sponsorship.
3: And ultimately, of course, that yeah. led to the end of your involvement with Bloodhound. The project lives on, uh, and the investment from other parts of the world, like China, Julie, as you said, uh, South Africa and the region that you were going to go to, extraordinary things, uh, and I'll come back to that in a, in a minute, if I may, Richard. Please. I, 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 but I do want to talk about some successes, obviously Thrust and Thrust 2, I think everybody knows the great stories of that. For me, one of the most exciting things was the JCB Diesel Max. I saw that car at, at one of the racing car shows at Birmingham on display, I think on the MIA stand, and marvelled at just the gorgeousness of the engineering and how the the subframes for the engines had been machined and talking to you and to Andy about how, and let's remember, that's a piston-driven uh, piston-engined, wheel-driven world record, which a lot of people still look at as the ultimate in terms of automotive engineering, over 350 miles an hour, and you and Andy told me you didn't even get into Top Gear for that, so there's performance left in that car, and I'd love to see you go back and do it and try and go to the, the 450-odds that the Americans have at the moment.
10: Right, okay, let's just understand that. The, the great thing about the Diesel Max was it was a diesel engine. And uh, so we took uh, the JCB, effectively, uh, tractor engines. Um, these are 4.4-liter 4. 4 four-cylinder engines and took them from about 140 brake horsepower to 750. This was all done by Ricardo, And um, we designed the car around John Cobb's land speed record car of 1936, uh, basically with two engines, one in the front, one at the back in this case. Uh, but the important thing was that the engines were not coupled So one drove the front wheels, one drove the back wheels. And that meant, therefore, that um, we could make the thing a lot lighter and we didn't have the problems of of, uh, transmission between the two engines. Uh, The very clever thing about it, which often doesn't come out, is Ron Ayers' work. So Ron is our aerodynamicist. And uh, we managed to get a bit more budget out of JCB, which enabled us to really play tunes on the car uh, aerodynamics, particularly on the underside of the car. Now, the underside of the car generates more um, more drag than the shiny bit on the top. And uh, one of the things that we come across, Ron and I came across, was that uh, what actually happens when you're on the Bonneville salt flats is that the driven wheels uh, basically kick up an enormous amount of heavy, um, heavy salt, which comes off the wheels, Um, where the wheel sort of leaves the ground, you know, where the wheel surface turns around and leaves the ground. So that comes off at 400-odd miles an hour and then hits the bodywork. So you've got a reverse momentum, which is actually slowing the car up. So we designed the underside of the car so the airflow from the nose goes in and it curls curls around and crosses the back of the tires uh, right at the point where the tire is just leaving leaving the salt, and, uh, and so it cleans the tar, uh, and takes the salt out the back, and this reduced the rolling resistance by an enormous figure, some 30 or 40 percent. Uh, the Americans never really understood that, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was absolutely brilliant. But that car, and, um, ha- that
3: car, Richard has a performance in in hand because the 350 miles an hour wasn't its. Th- Theoretical or even its practical at Vmax, you ran out of tire performance before you ran out of of, of car performance.
10: Yeah, exactly that. Um, basically, JCB is a very responsible PLC, and uh, there, no way did they want to take uh, any unnecessary risk. And uh, so uh, we were satisfied that the tires would do uh, three three hundred and fifty, and that's as fast as it went. And um, it. It could go much faster. Um, basically, uh, Ricardo believed it could get somewhere near to four hundred, but not quite. Oh,
3: if only, if only. Uh, I, I love that. I love that. And that was an example of people who were prepared to invest, who, were pre- who saw the the opportunity to to take risk. The two aircraft. Uh, um, projects that you talk about in the book take risk as well, ARV aircraft and the Farnborough uh, aircraft. Uh, I have to say yeah. I wasn't as as well up with that uh, and I found those uh, areas of the book to be even more frustrating than the land speed records and, 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 and in some ways Richard the, the book is slightly frustrating for me as an outsider to read. It, as you were uh, as you were uh, recapping this and, and, and uh, putting this all back down again, did you get the same sort of frustrations as you had clearly had at the time of not being able to push these sound, absolutely sound engineering concepts for, forward?
10: Yes, exactly right. And this is the, the key to the book is, and why it's called Take Risk because basically we we're up against some sort of British establishment that, um, that just wouldn't support this sort of thing at all, even though, and you've got the same with the Atlantic Sprinter ship. Um, these things could actually revolutionize. Um, uh, with ARV, could revolutionize private flying because you reduce the cost. You produce a much better airplane than the training airplanes the Americans produced. Um, with the Farmer F1, there's uh, the regional taxi, Basically, capable of a thousand miles, um, moves as fast as Spitfire. Um, this could actually revolutionise uh, um, uh, uh, not necessarily executive costs because uh, the running costs of that airplane, if it's doing something like half a million miles a year, basically could be the uh, could be about the same as per mile as a Range Rover. Extraordinary. Um, you could really change things, but we live in a country which is uh, obsessed with avoiding risk, uh, and so it doesn't happen.
3: Let me finish off with a couple only of go points so
10: far with the people who will
3: yeah. will support it exactly. so let me finish off with a couple of points because I want to come back, circle back to to bloodhound. Do you think mm. bloodhound will ostensibly do what you and the rest of the team? conceived it to do can it do a thousand miles an hour you would say yes for that part will it do a thousand miles an hour out in in south africa is is the potential is the is the uh, will still out there in, in its new hands
10: yeah the answer is um, look i'm not part of that project so i can't really speak for it but uh basically when i left it our view was that yes it could do um, it depends on the NAMO rocket, but the NAMO people have advanced quite a long, quite a long, quite a long way further since uh, our d- early discussions. So I, I think, yes, it could do, absolutely could do. It just needs people to take risk and, uh, and a bit of national motivation to get the job finished.
3: Yes, absolutely right. Richard, I thoroughly enjoyed the book. I heard your uh, voice in all of it. Uh, and that was through my imagination and knowing you. However, uh, something quite unusual uh, is that you have actually done this as an audio book uh, as well. How yeah. very 2020 of you, by the way, might I, might I say. It. Uh, uh, and I read it as an e-book to start with, but I'm, I've now got the, the hard copy as well. And I'm reading it again, believe it, believe it or not. What was the experience like of, of doing the audio
10: book? uh very very disciplined i was very very lucky to have um, to be working with an absolutely exceptional um audio engineer and um, we did it over about three days i think and uh he, he wouldn't let anything slip <laughs> so uh, he uh it's very much due to him that we, we we we've ended up with what I think is a really brilliant audio book. Uh, well,
3: if, uh, as I say, the text itself is wonderful and gives a really different insight uh, into what you've been doing right from your early days uh, of innovation. Uh, what's on the horizon for Richard Noble? What other projects are you eyeing up? Or has or has putting this together knocked the stuffing out of you and thought, why did I even bother in the first place?
10: <laughs> well, there are a number of things happening. There's a big industrial programme, which is... Uh which I'm um, involved in just in the very early stages. And uh, it's somebody else's project, so I can't really talk about it, and, which is very interesting. And uh, also, um, we go back to Crusader and Loch Ness in 1952, and what we discovered was that when Evro produced a book on um, Reed Relton, who was the great engineer, we then discovered that Reed had actually gone ahead and um, designed a, a separate, uh, a new water speed record boat. And um, what's more, a model had, um, models had been made of it, a wind tunnel model and also a, a marine tunnel model. And um, nobody knew anything about this because uh, Railton really wasn't very interested in publicity. So. And by sheer good fortune, um, I was able to acquire one of the models and also from Railton's family get the uh, uh, approval to see if we can develop it. So we built two six-foot jet-powered models radio-controlled. Uh, but unfortunately, because of the lockdown, we can't run them at the moment. So uh, we're just waiting. But um, it's built by Len in, in, um, down in Cornwall. So hopefully, um, we'll get them running very soon. And we'll see if, uh, if, see if they work. And if they work, then of course, there's a good case for taking it forward to the next stage.
3: I feel there may be many more chapters to come from you Richard <laughs> uh, the book oh is co- god
10: I hope so uh, so do
3: I so do I um, uh, Take Risk is uh, published by Evro it's available as an e-book and an audio book I started talking about the title Take Risk uh, exclamation mark I actually finished up at the end of it Richard thinking it might have been Take Risk with a question mark at the end of it <laughs> instead Richard thank you very much for being with us good luck in all your endeavours, and you know you're welcome here on midweight Motorsport anytime.
10: John, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you.
4: And if you're listening uh, on the podcast, uh, then by the time you listen to this, then there'll be a link uh, for you to buy this book uh, when you go to our website.
3: Oh, uh, just
4: now. Let's move on. I'm pleased you on. jumped
3: in there. I'm pleased you jumped in there because I hope you could hear how much in awe I am of Richard Noble or Be. That they say never meet your heroes, and in some cases that is correct. But with Richard Noble, Andy Green, both of them have had the great pleasure of meeting Dan throughout the years. Derek Bell, another one of mine, just... And honestly, I, I know you were telling me to wind it up, Tim. We could have talked... And when we set this up with Rebecca, thanks to Rebecca Leopard who who set all that up, and to Andrew Marriott who uh, was also involved in in setting that up, Um, we had as much. Richard literally said, You can have as much time as we want as we were setting that up tonight. Fabulous. Great, great, uh, great response on Twitter uh, as well. Spooner in Orange off to the various audio books selling web pages right now. It's Evro. is the publisher of that. David Walton, great interview. The man is a fountain of engineering knowledge. Um, Spooning and Orange. And, and this is great. He says, I have goosebumps. No offence, Richard, but it's like listening to my late grandfather talking about his engineering solutions and feats that were deployed in Burma on Lancaster bombers and the lightning. Uh, take risk attitude. Love it. Uh, Richard would not... Be taking offence at that at all Spooner in Orange quite the reverse and this is from Chris Suku great to hear again about JCP Dieselmax I pass Tim Leviton pretty much every day when I'm at work Tim was uh, one of the team leaders at D- Diesel Max and a great engineer and Chris says he's a, a fabulous uh, team leader with whom I have the pleasure to work across three companies now with JLR Tim Uh. Let's
4: move from Richard Noble to Mark Noble. Declan Brennan is here to talk about a new show.
3: I've got a feeling he might want to talk about Reed Realton first. Dex, good evening. Well,
2: well, just he mentioned Reed Railton, and those guys were, uh, to use an old friend of mine's expression, they were different gravy. Oh, they they were, were very, they were amazing. Why it differently? They, they just went, "I'm going to do this. It's utterly ridiculous, but i have got to do it anyway." Uh, <laughs> luckily, they normally had the money to do it, and it reminded me of a, a, a mutual friend of of uh, of Nick's uh, and mine. Well, I was not not I'd be a Facebook friend and a fan. Uh, Steve Halter wrote an amazing book called "Leap into Legend" hmm. uh, about about uh, uh, Donald Campbell. But in it, it, talks about those guys on that era. And the thing that blew my mind that, that was engine development. When they were doing engine development, they would get updates, debriefs by letter. Yes.
3: So, don't so... you just love the can-do <laughs> attitude? Nick Damon is yeah. with us as well. Uh, and Don't you just love the can-do attitude? So, found some old plans and then got hold of an old model of the new version of the, the water speed record, the old version of the water speed record. And the quote there, Richard on the phone, uh, so we've built two six-foot jet-powered radio-controlled boats, <laughs> but we haven't been able to do anything with them at the moment. And it's just brilliant, isn't it? We should run it bathtub. Come on, man. You know, it's fine. I,
2: I have images of him straddling them both. Uh, and,
6: and what and
3: inch foot. On... Yeah. Yeah. What... <laughs> <laughs> and, and and listen, I, I I am not at all taking any kind of liberties with Richard Noble. I, I, I am so buzzed up by that interview. It is so uplifting, particularly in the current times. And that is a man, by the way, and, and one thing I should say, I, I spoke to Richard uh, earlier before he came back on the phone. And there is a man, by the way, and if you read this book, and I read the book in one sitting. I could not... I was going to say I couldn't put it down, but it, as I said in the interview, it was an e-book. I read it in one sitting. I've now got the physical book. And Richard is such a advocate for Great Britain and for the engineering prowess of Great Britain and the innovation of Great Britain that when he says we're so disappointed with the country, he doesn't mean that in a nasty way. He just means... We really ought to do better, shouldn't we? And I love that about him, and I'm inspired every time I hear him speak, Nick.
6: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's he is obviously from, a, I suppose, the, 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 a different breed in many ways. I mean, obviously, you know, being man of the Second World War, being a fighter pilot and everything else, and and it's, it's you know, hopefully. Um, you know, we, we do see uh, Bloodhound getting up and running again. It's, I know it's stumbling again at the moment. It's a lot of money, and it needs uh, a visionary investor, which, unfortunately, may be harder to find this uh, after the current crisis. Tim Greer.
4: You mentioned Steve Holter there, uh, Nick and Declan. Have you heard any more about his uh, new book, Quiet Giants? Because that's about uh, Reed Railton and John Cobb and the water well, speed record. I,
2: I, I genuinely can't wait to read it because his books are... So wonderful, and I'll, I'll uh, Steve, if he's listening, they managed to do the almost impossible. They managed to take the massively complex and distill them down beautifully, so normies and idiots like me can understand the, the the technical challenges. And the technical challenges were enormous of what of what these guys of Cobb and Relton and Seagrave and and, uh, and and Campbell was doing. They were they were insane what they were they were asking people to do. But I think. Uh, to use an expression which i absolutely love uh they uh they they decided they had an absence of imagination almost they uh, <laughs> uh they they uh, no that's uh, i'm not sure that's no, the right term but they, no i know what you mean they just said no this can be done this can be done and you're going to do it and i and you know and you're going to send me letters explaining how uh, every week <laughs> because i'm not standing over you but and and it was all about ultimately wasn't it john it was all about uh ultimately taking giant giant uh paratrains and 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 condensing them in a way that was almost impossible because that's what it all boiled down to because they were all just huge mu- en- engines and paratrains and it was somehow harnessing them in a way that would stay balanced but did you either hear... on water or on land and i missed unfortunately i missed a lot of that interview which i can't wait to to now
3: uh hear back the the, the... Just the tiny little... The other thing when you talk to someone like Richard Noble or indeed Andy Green, who I've been privileged to be in the company of many times because he's a Rolex ambassador and I tend to see him at the Rolex Daytona 24. And remember when Andy was doing that, on this show, we used to ring him up when he was at RAF Wittering as station commander at the home of the... uh, the home of the harrier and nick and you and i have ridden around the back roads around there many times on our motorcycles and ask him for updates and he he would be at his desk at eight and nine o'clock at night and we would literally ring him up on this show and andy um absolutely in the same mold as richard uh, with the same kind of engineering love and just the well, well we have to do it and we'll make it work and that's that's the way that's the way it has to be and and in these, particularly in these times, if if I could recommend, um, if if I could recommend a book for you to read, that would be one this week because it is so uplifting. There is frustration in the book, Nick, as I said, but but there's so much. It's so matter of fact. That was the word I was looking for. These people. It's like when you talk to Jim Cameron at, at Mission Motorsport. These guys, they're matter of fact. This happened, that happened. Here's the end result, and yeah. that's it.
6: And I wasn't that pleased with that bit or that bit I'm not gonna show who came to.
3: Yeah, and, and yeah, I love the way he was talking about the way they tuned the diesel max so that the salt wasn't cut. We couldn't get anybody and it and I I desperately tried to get somebody to build them a tire that would be rated over 400. And in those days, it was 430 miles an hour. It's just been pushed out to 450 miles an hour for the piston-driven, uh, piston-engine, wheel-driven world record. It's back with the States uh, again. It's the Thompson car again. And, and that car's got performance. And I'm like, please, somebody find me. Build me a tight And we couldn't get anybody to do it. Uh, anyway, uh, take risk is what it's called. Evro Publishing uh, will have the link on uh, the website uh, by the, by about an hour after the show tonight uh, let's get back to Declan Brennan because we mentioned mark noble now mark noble is uh, no relation to Richard noble and has as Can far you as prove that as far as I'm aware mark noble is no rela- relation to Richard noble tweet at your if you know differently um, and as far as I know Declan has no motorsport credentials whatsoever, but Mark Noble and some of his colleagues are going to be very important in the coming weeks on midweek motorsport for something that we've never done before. That's true. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know uh, if you want
2: me to, to blurt it out and bury uh, bury it. the lead. No, no, or, don't bury yeah, the lead. blurt it out. I'm. I'm very proud to. Uh, very proud to be responsible. For the first non motorsport content on the radio show Limited Family of Networks, I will be producing a show called The Football Rewind, which we've mentioned before, but it's uh, starting on the 9th of May. Uh, and uh, it will hopefully, uh, you know, uh, scratch a few uh, football itches for people who have, have none to watch right now. Uh, mm-hmm. We will be looking at. Uh, great events and players and tournaments and haircuts uh, of uh, the haircuts over and the shorts
3: over the, are very
9: yeah, important. From the uh, very important, about.
2: it's really over the televised era. So of of of, of football and uh, we'll be really starting. We start around the the, the late 60s, but uh, we'll be just picking. We have a very wide brief, just going to pick stuff we want to have fun with, uh, get some guests on, talk about all sorts, uh, and uh, there'll be some familiar voices, including your own. Mm-hmm. And uh, some some bigger names from the world of football and writers and, and it's going to be a lot of fun and I think people so, are going to uh, I think people are going to be entertained and informed and generally and it's uh, all under an hour uh, my my the one thing I I, I refuse to believe is that uh, any good po- podcast needs to be uh, more than an hour unless it's a live radio show first which is the excuse that uh, good been, save. I've,
10: Yes. That Turn me...
3: that one onto the crossbar. Excellently, well done, Dex. Dex. Uh, the, the the elevator pitch for this is that you take a guest and a classic football soccer game um, from the past, from the televised era. Uh, you both watch the game and then you discuss the game. Or, or it, it might not always be a game. It might be. I know you're going to do one about a particular goal of the month or match of the day, which is something in the UK. Uh, look it up if you don't know and you're, and, 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 you're a, and you're not in the UK. But you you take a particular moment in time of a televised football match and then you go back and and analyze it effectively with the benefit of hopefully better fashion sense but certainly uh, certainly with, with the benefit of hindsight absolutely but but
2: it will be uh, a it will be lie to say that we do that uh, at a forensic level every week' I'll, I'll, for example episode one a great example is a fantastic arguably the greatest FA Cup upset of them all Newcastle United going to Hereford uh for round three of the FA Cup in 1972 and that story is incredible and we go through the whole story and and kind of un, as it as it un, un, unravels and and uh no unravels not the, uh, we unveil it you, you discover so much about that story you probably didn't know uh we do the same thing the following week uh in a lot of detail, sadly, John, with uh, with Charlton versus Sunderland, <laughs> but we won't always we won't always uh, go into such forensic detail. For example, we've got a fantastic episode coming up in episode four, which uh, with a, a writer called uh, Steve McAvoy, who we talk about his love of Wigan, and we kind of we discuss the broader issue of whether or not spending time in the Premier League is a good or a bad thing oh, for a club. Oh. so we don't we don't really discuss uh, it's 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 a uh, nomin- uh, nominally about, sorry, nomin- nominally about the uh, the fact that they won the FA Cup and went down uh, from the Premier League uh, within the space of seventy two hours. But really, it's about the broader issue of of uh, of of uh, the, the experience as a fan, for example. But we're going to have a wide variety of guests and a wide variety of subjects. But it's all going to be generally an under an hour, fun, lively discussion about football. And, and I'm, and really, I'm really looking forward to bringing it to you.
3: And, and, and I'll say this: you can put your fingers in your ears at the moment Um, I was involved in the second one I heard the first one and if you're a soccer fan if you're a football fan in the UK or further afield you absolutely have to listen to this if you're a RSL fan of the way we do things you absolutely have to listen to this because it's it is so Declan has absolutely covered this in what might be called house style it's a bit irreverent at times it's, it's funny it, it there's pathos it, it's got everything to it the the time will be three o'clock saturday afternoon uk of course it has to be on the weekends when we don't have any uh, digital uh, live content um but we're going to play the first one tim can we play the next the first one next week after Next Wednesday after Midweek Motorsport, yes. Right, OK, we'll, we'll do that. It'll replay on the Saturday as well. So listen out for that. It's called the Football Rewind. Declan will be presenting it. And I promise you, um, the first one is sets the tone the second one has a lot of me being quite bitter in it.
1: Uh, <laughs> um, so you might
3: want... I, I'll, I'll say that now. Uh, let's get back to motorsport. First, by the way, that is the first ever non-motorsport content on the Radio Show Limited. I'm very and proud of that. And as you that. should be. You have put a lot of work into it. Uh, let's get back to motorsport. We've got a NASCAR story. Then I want to talk about uh, some live virtual motorsport later on in the week. Tim, where, where are we going with the NASCAR story? Oh, you have
10: a quiz. And now, from Norwich, it's the
0: quiz of the week.
10: And today's top prizes include a three-piece suite, and as Carol's discovered, it offers the last word in comfort. It's in pale green with a rose motif, and it's on offer for £110. But now let's meet the man who asks the questions and pays out the money,
3: Nicholas Parsons. We really need to replace that with Tim Gray.
4: Yes, we do. Uh, he didn't pay out
3: the money. There's no way it was coming out of his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. Well made and beautifully presented. What uh, have we got tonight then in uh, Deal of the Century?
4: Well, our first uh, item is a race suit as worn by Sergio Perez. Right. Right. Um,
3: where, where is this being sold?
4: Well, I'm not going to tell you that because then you're just going to Google it.
3: No, but 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 what country? What race suit? What team? Uh,
4: one of the BWP... Racing Point Force India pink one. Pink Right who's pink going ones. first Declan could go have first Declan first on this one
2: Oh boy uh, Sergio Perez race suit He's looking at it uh, pff, 1200 bucks
4: 1200 That's dollars Dollars oh. Can you give me in pounds
2: I will uh, uh, If I go to
3: xe.com no, no, that'd, no, that'd, be about, that'd be about 1800 quid that's a game in itself. <laughs> all right, okay. All right. Nine, okay, F- 950 quid, yeah, all right, you're about right, yes.
4: Uh, John. Uh, £600. 600 pounds. 600 pounds. Nick?
6: Well, if I was being tactical, I should say 951 here, because I think it's a lot more. Because obviously charity, it's in Mexico, so I'm going to say a number I was going to say, even though I might lose,
3: £1, 1,800 pounds.
4: 1,800 pounds, says Nick. The correct answer... Was two thousand two hundred pounds. So he,
3: Nick looked that up because he said it was in Mexico, and you didn't say where it was. You don't live with a detective for as long as I did without realising that Nick cheated there. I got I got accused of cheating on plagiarism, cards right when all I, I had you to did do was hire a how can, can you I make a point? Can I just can I just make an absolute point here, John? Uh-huh.
6: On on the life of every child and animal I own, I haven't in any way Googled this. i right. it's Tim to think about how he would to think about the question. You,
3: All right. Do you remember? Suits do you, you remember All right. here? All right. Okay. Not, not didn't that long say it ago Mexico, on...
2: Not that long ago on Player of Cards, right? I I do remember being asked. Uh, 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 how many French uh, world carding champions were? And I did say lower than zero,
7: apparently.
3: <laughs> 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 next one. Nick, get, Nick's gets the point and we'll start the next one.
4: Next one. Framed print of Sterling Moss at <gasps> Monaco 1961, signed by Sterling Moss and by Murray Walker.
3: When was that up for grabs, though? Was it before he died or after he died?
4: This auction is since his death. Right. So John is going first. No, no,
3: Nick's going first. He got the last one right. Okay. 800 quid.
4: Eight hundred pounds for the print, John. Dex.
3: Okay, I'm going second again. I'm at um, seven hundred fifty pounds.
4: Seven hundred fifty, Declan.
2: It's highest bid is, is closest to uh, oh, oh two and a half grand. Two and a half thousand
4: <laughs> pounds. Yes, <Yeah. laughs> you're not used to sterling, are you anymore? Uh, no, uh, Most or otherwise, Declan does win though because uh, it sold for two thousand two hundred pounds.
2: <laughs> right, get in. Right. Remarkably, Lotus remarkably Lotus's first F- Formula 1 win, was it not?
4: Uh, next, we move on to a Williams VIP experience at the 2021 British Grand Prix.
6: Right, that's good.
3: That's infinity, because it may not happen.
6: But, you know, because the 2020 experience would be, oh, I'm sorry, mate, you can't come in. Yes. Or give us 800 quid and you can drive.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: Uh, who's going first on this one?
3: That must be my turn, John. Now. All right, two thousand two hundred pounds. Two thousand two
4: hundred pounds. I can see why you've chosen that. I was yeah.
3: going to go for that,
4: uh, Nick. <laughs> high or lower?
3: I'm looking. Right, I'm doing Shears. 2, one pound, please. Two thousand
4: two hundred and one. Swine.
3: I'm doing Shears progression thing.
4: Uh, Declan. So
2: Declan goes. For what I well, wanted to go. I believe they probably include Paddock Club tickets, so I oh. think it's probably going to be closer to three or even four grand. I'm going to say three and a half grand. 3,500.
4: Oh, Declan gets now. a point. It's sold for 22,000 pounds.
3: No, that really does get you a drive in the car. <laughs> <just> swear, Nick. He <laughs> <That was laughs> said, shoot me. He said, shoot me. <laughs> I, I heard it. Absolutely. Go on. One more.
4: Uh, that was many more. No, no, private,
3: no, I don't have time for many a more. We've private got to do a private race
4: day. Right. At, it's not a private race day. It's a private track day at the invitation of the Duke of Richmond and Gordon.
3: Who's that? Gordon th- the that Gordon? That's, um, that's the man Gordon formerly known God as God. Lord no, March. No, Charlie March, yeah. It's Charlie March, isn't it? Uh,
6: who's first? Dex again. Which Gordon again is it?
3: Charlie March. The Duke of Richmond and Lord Gordon.
2: Gordon the Not Gordon the Gopher or Gordon the Gopher. This
3: is Goodwood, so it's Goodwood.
2: Or Gordon Bennett. Although he would be, obviously, the trophy name. Nice after. trophy,
3: yes, uh, absolutely.
2: Yes, uh, okay, so uh, private tractor. Private,
3: that's a. Oh, these, this is one of these This for is for only, two people, abs-
4: by the way. Is
3: it it's yeah. a, it's on the racing circuit or the horse racing circuit?
4: The racing circuit.
3: Okay, fine. Oh, God, wow. Private, uh, 14 grand.
4: Fourteen thousand says Declan. Next is Nick.
2: Seventeen
4: and a half thousand. Seventeen and a half. Did you say? Yep. I can barely hear Nick. Seventeen and a half.
3: Seventeen, and a half 17 thousand five hundred guests
4: okay. are over. And John. <laughs> over.
3: <laughs> Twenty-two and a half thousand pounds.
4: Twenty-two and a half thousand pounds. John gets a point. It's oh! sold for twenty-five thousand pounds.
3: So that John winning? No, no, that's my first one. Everybody's got one, haven't we?
4: Uh, no, somebody's got more than Dex one. Has Dex has
3: got no, two. No, we've yeah. all got one. No, we've all got... I can't remember. It uh, doesn't matter. It's not Nick, about Nick, who wins. Nick won it's the first me.
4: one, and then Dex yeah. won the second one, I and won, then Dex and won, and the then won, I won the third one. one, and then John won the fourth all right, so, one.
3: All right, it's two to Dex, one to me and Nick.
4: Uh, a race suit worn and signed by Lando Norris.
3: Oh, okay. And it's made to it go first then, isn't it?
4: It will be. Uh,
3: two thousand. Four hundred and seventy-five pounds. No,
4: Declan next.
2: Lando, he's pretty. He, he's 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 getting a, a bit of a. He's getting up there.
5: Yeah. And obviously,
4: uh, this would be great if you've got a young child.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's bigger of than of Johnny Herbert, though. Uh, okay. I'm going to say I'm going to say uh, sixteen hundred pounds because he's still he's still not uh, a a list. I would suggest mm, okay.
4: uh, Nick Damon.
6: I think he has a big following on Twitch and someone has oh, twitched him up with £3,000.
4: The correct answer is £3,800. So a point for Nick there.
3: So we have to do a tie break because Nick and Deck have got one, uh, two apiece now. And, yes. I'm, and I'm, So I if I so get th- this, it, we're all tied. So one very more, man. very quickly. So a tie break. Yeah. This is a
4: VIP visit for four people to the Rothko Gulf Heritage Collection.
3: Oh, I could go when I was asked to go.
4: Uh Nick. Uh two thousand so, two
2: hundred
4: pounds. Two
3: thousand
4: two hundred. <laughs> Dex. Declan. Uh fifteen hundred. Fifteen hundred pounds, John. Three three thousand pounds. Three thousand pounds. Uh closest is Nick. Oh. Uh, who becomes our winner tonight. It's actually sold for two thousand five hundred pounds. Uh this was a Bonham's auction. And it wasn't just uh, motorsport um, items that were up for sale. There was a tour of uh, Grayson Perry's private gallery by Grayson Perry. That went for £5,000.
3: Did they used to be in France?
4: And uh, also a walk along the South Bank with Kevin MacLeod. Mm. Which also
6: sold well, for okay. £5,000. That's a rotten design. That's a rotten design. That cost too much and went over budget. That broke up a marriage. Isn't that what happened to Kevin MacLeod? Isn't it
3: wonderful that people can still get excited about shoddy old buildings? Yes. Uh, All right, right, thanks you, to, you really
6: have to celebrate their bravery. In other words, they have no taste. The
4: South um, Bank was exceptionally brave,
3: Nick. <laughs> and, and they probably got pregnant at the same time as well whilst they were living Look in the car. Oh, I was watching, it, it's I was watching one of the of Australian ones the other night. <laughs> stop. 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 Yeah. Nick, congratulations. Uh, let's move on to... We've got some live motorsport tomorrow. And oh. I, I absolutely say it like that because we keep telling everybody the competition is real even if the circuits in the cars are virtual. Uh, and it is the... Uh, haggertys sponsored Mid Ohio IMSA iRacing Pro Invitational. Another 50 drivers, Nick, with us, and we've we've got a, an early look at the uh, at the list of drivers involved. Mm. And who stands out for you then in that? Well,
6: obviously the man who's won twice, Bruno Spengler, but also <laughs> the man who came second last time round, uh, Shane Van Gisbergen, who was um, you know would have would possibly got even closer with a bit of um. Uh, holding up but you know it's uh, every every week they kind of uh you know they, they up the the quality of the field what's certainly most is the general shift away from ferrari that we do we have gained james Calado as a racer in a ferrari ferrari uh, and-
3: are are very uh, ferrari are uh, taking this a bit more seriously now Is all i can say uh, at the moment um dex uh you as um rebel rock racing with your rebel can you put your rebel rock racing hat on right now uh, uh, yes you've got you've got your your matt bell is racing a bmw that andy blackmore has made look like a camaro <laughs> yeah the beauty of it is
2: that we get obviously a, a, a weird uh a visual uh, uh what's what's the word i'm looking for it, it just it's wonderful to see for example rebel rock Don't have a Camaro. There's no GT4 cars. that They're running the BMW uh, at the choice of owner, Frank Depew, because he wants when he's going to eventually run the series, which he intends to do when he feels he's ready for it. He wants to obviously run in a car that he's familiar with. So he's got a rear wheel drive, front engine, Ah, powerful car. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Matt Matt has been working with him uh, on simulation work and therefore the logical idea was to put Matt in the car because uh, Robin Liddell uh, he'd tell you himself is a bit of a Luddite and doesn't use iRacing. I don't think he uh, used
3: the word Luddite the last time I spoke to him in fairness <laughs> if there was a 205 GTI uh, or 205 anything racing championship Robin would wipe the floor with everybody that's true He uh,
2: so yeah he doesn't, he doesn't go for this uh, modern newfangled <laughs> technology <laughs> but uh but he so yeah so Matt Matt's been working hard and 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 it's great because for the reasons it's it's uh it's teams from the uh, Michelin Pilot Challenge being represented as well which is great and that's that's the way it should be so hats off to IMSA for making sure that uh, Matt Rebel Rock got an entry he's very confident Matt's a terrific pilot uh, and a former uh, GS champion and uh, I have uh, a, a enormous faith in his ability to. To keep at least uh, uh, at least on the coattails, if not uh, really keep the uh, factory BMWs honest.
3: Uh, as I say, Ferrari have taken this a bit more seriously. Um, and uh, in comes James Collado. The GT3 Ferraris, Nick, were very very competitive the weekend, particularly for Redline Max Verstappen's team, of course, although he was racing the uh, the. The, the, the porsche uh, it's been a difficult car to handle um in terms it's very tail happy now you don't like a tail happy bradley would be very happy with it indeed he likes a car that mm. steers from the back end but mid ohio uphill downhill, lots of off-camber corners what do you reckon you've been turning some laps and, and having I, a good you did a michelin challenge
6: race there didn't you i did a, I did a michelin challenge gt4 but i i it's a, it's a circuit i, I I've, I've been running around on my own in various different cars just enjoying it immensely the best fun was in an HPD um, P2 car from well, I suppose a vintage about 2019 that was great fun but I thought sort of, oh I'll go and do a race and then you realise that one car on Mid-Ohio is yeah, it's pretty good fun 36 cars in Mid-Ohio is a little bit <laughs> hectic um, <laughs> And and it's quite and and the the penalty for going off isn't just going off, but it appears that every single gravel trap takes you down a hill into some sort of veil of de- of despair. It's not it's, so the, the, the I'm using that
3: massive. the veil of despair. You're using I, that. One of the you, things I love about that track is
2: there is that is that I'm not sure anybody actually knows the appropriate place to break for the uh, four or five six. Uh, combination. I, 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 Up uh, over, over the
3: top of madness and, and round the back, yes.
2: It's just the whole thing is that 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 whole section is incredible because I, I, I have had uh, one of my pros talk me through this in the past and it, I'm not going to give any secrets away, but it getting through it fast is actually super counterintuitive. It's not the way you would think no.
4: is the way to get through.
3: No, that's uh, it's that. very interesting you should say that, Dex. Way back in the mists of time when I first went to Mid Ohio in the real world with elms brian till uh who for many years was the chief instructor at the middle higher racing school um, and one of our broadcast colleagues graciously um said that he would take us around in a minivan and when i say us i mean anybody who wanted to go and it just so happened that i was sitting in the van at the same time all the audi works lmp1 drivers we're in with Brian. So let, let's pause for a moment and just, first of all, take that in, that we had 600 and plenty horsepower, full downforce Audi R8, uh, TD, uh, not TDIs, FSIs running in that, petrol cars, uh, with the likes of Pirro and Beeler and McNish driving those cars. And... Brian was explaining the vagary. So we go out of the pit lane and we head up to the keyhole. Then we go down the back straight, which is in fact where the start line is because the start line and the finish are not at the same place. That, I think that uniquely... Confused me. That confused me. It it's a
6: rolling start on the Michelin yes. part. And, Ex- and the previous one, there was a the whole lap of wandering around and they go... Duh, 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 duh. I'm quite relaxed.
3: <laughs> yes. So then we come into where Dex is talking about, four, five, six, up and over the top. And the... F- Nick you are a motorcyclist one thing that you learn about riding a motorcycle even on the road is that particularly on roads that you don't know you pick out camber changes very quickly indeed you learn to do that otherwise you hurt yourself really badly so as we come into that area of the track i say to brian oh my god you can't take the proper racing line here and he said What makes you say that? I said, well, the cambers are all wrong. And he said, and what makes you say that? I said, because I ride a motorbike. Exactly what you've just said, Dex. Completely counterintuitive. You're not on the racing line. You're going to see passing in weird places. It's going to be brilliant. And we'll start with a Michelin countdown to green at 5 o'clock Eastern. Sorry, no, 5.30 Eastern, which is 10.30 here in the UK. It'll be Ben Concenturis and Nick that will join me. Tim will be in the studio. Then we've got the whole hour and a half race live and a bit of Michelin post-race tech with some interviews as well. Full live in sound, vision and live timing as well. Thanks to James for that. And then on Saturday, Bruce will join me for the next round of the d Uh, NLS, uh, and that uh, all details will be on the website. Great thanks tonight to all of you for joining us. The uh, responsible adult was omnipresent. Tim Gray was our executive producer. Uh, Thanks to VCO for the Victory Lane interviews, and to Ben Concenturis, and especially to, and I'm going to say this now, and I may be ruining it, Sir Richard Noble. I think it It feels right. I want to end tonight with something, uh, I'm afraid, a little bit sad. Because a friend of ours and two endurance motorsport, unfortunately, lost a little bit of a a long battle with illness at the weekend. And that was Ricardo Ramsey de Villa. Uh, Just... A lovely bloke in all ways. You could go through his career with the Fittipaldi's and the FD. Well, F was Fittipaldi and D was De Via. And I think most of us bumped into him when he was working with Nissan down through the years, and with the Nissan, particularly with the Nissan Delta Wing product, uh, Ricardo De Via was just one of the great people that you could spend time with having a coffee, which he loved a lot, uh, in a pit lane or a paddock somewhere. He never refused a sit-down. He never refused the questions. And our paddocks in motorsport are far less rich and far less happy with his passing. Our condolences to his direct family and to his many, many friends in motorsport around the world. Ricardo DeVia, who died on Saturday, will be much missed. Good night, everybody.
0: This program is a radio show limited production.
8: Tell your friends there's more at radiolamont.com.